Well, good evening. Uh, first off, I have to say that it is so good uh, to be standing here in front of my people here at Center Grove and to have an opportunity to share a brief lesson from God's Word with you. Uh, first off, it's singing night, and uh, that is a reminder to both myself and Caden that we need to expand our song selection beyond Jesus Loves Me. Um, but as great as that song is, uh, our goal for tonight is, uh, you know, we hope that we can depart from uh, our assembly together with insight gained from Scripture and a clearer view of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. A man goes about posting his life or posting uh, the occasional Bible verse on his social media, but will only be found at an assembly of the Lord's people a few times a year. There are sinful things that he engages in on a regular basis, but he doesn't concern himself too much with those things. Since he believes in Jesus, he's fine. It's tax season, and a young woman decides to cheat a little bit on her taxes by claiming a little more than she should. Times are tough. Rent is going up. Stuff costs more. And she looks and she sees friends that have just had so much given to them. She's aware that God would know, but she chooses not to think about it. A member of the church was taught the gospel uh, years ago and was baptized for the remission of their sins, but really hasn't progressed much past that initial point. They can be found at just about every service and a few meetings and lectureships, but attendance is really all the effort that they're willing to give. Christianity has unconsciously been reduced to a punch card, and they believe the parable of the five, two, and one talent man doesn't really apply to them. Now, although these are three completely different scenarios, they all have one thing in common. They need to get their spiritual eyes checked. These people would all claim to know uh, who God is, or, oh yeah, I go to church, or, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, he's so good. But their actions and the words that come out of their mouth can show that a person really doesn't know Jesus very well at all. Tonight, very briefly, we're going to explore the reality of that danger and that it is possible to think that we know who Jesus is, who God is, but our view of him might not be accurate. To show this, who better to examine than the disciples who walked the earth with him? Mark records an important lesson on this very topic that was aimed at his disciples, which was just read a few moments ago. But before we dive into the meaning of it, uh, I want us to go back and look at a little bit of context that leads up to it. Most of our study tonight is going to be in the first half of the book of Mark, so if you have your Bibles, you may wish to turn there. Uh, but to summarize, in the first few chapters of Mark, the disciples have been with Jesus for a considerable amount of time, and they've already witnessed many of the teachings and the miracles performed by Jesus, some of which are curing all kinds of diseases. Uh, they were with him in the boat when he calmed a storm in Mark chapter 4. They've seen him cast out demons, including legion, which no one could control in Mark 5. Peter, James, and John even saw him raise a child from the dead in Mark 5.42. And he saw him feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish in Mark 6. With these experiences in mind, that brings us to our first passage of the evening that involves an incident with the disciples on the boat. In Mark 6, starting at verse 45, the Bible records an account where Jesus and his or sent his disciples ahead of him on the boat to Bethsaida while he took some time for himself to pray to the Father. However, the disciples find themselves in a much less peaceful environment. They're in the middle of the water on a boat. It's around 3 a.m., and they are struggling. The wind is against them. It's dark, and all of a sudden, they see something walking at them. Jesus communicates to them uh, that it's him and to not be afraid, and then he just walks up onto the boat, and the wind stops. 
Now, the disciples have seen a similar situation like this before. Mark 4 records that the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. Uh, a storm came, and the words used to describe that danger was a great windstorm. And it even caused the boat to begin filling with water, almost implying by the use of language that the storm in Mark 4 uh, was, a, was worse than it was here. So what is the reaction of the disciples when Jesus gets in the boat with them? Are they relieved? Are they comforted? You certainly would think so, drawing on their past experiences with Jesus. The reaction of the disciples is recorded starting at verse 51. Then he went up into the boat to them, the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Some translations use the words utterly astonished. This is more than just being shocked or surprised. This is bewilderment up to the point to where things and reality almost doesn't make any sense. Now, I've experienced things when, uh, or experienced times when things really don't make sense to me, but usually it's after um, an afternoon nap that's kind of gotten away from me. You know that one that you come home from work and you just mean to rest your eyes and you wake up three hours later trying to decide what day it is? Um, you're not even sure what's going on. Or maybe for you it could be a season finale of a, of a show that you like that's completely blown your mind. Or maybe it's a tragedy that's caused time to come to a stop. Whatever the case may be, what the disciples just saw doesn't make sense to them. But why? Again, going back to what they've seen so far. The first time Jesus calmed the winds in chapter 4. They saw him miraculously feed 5,000 men and more if you count women and children. So why are they so surprised? Legion has been cast out. Diseases have been cured. The dead has been raised. Why doesn't this make sense? Well, Mark tells us in verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They've seen the miracles. They've heard his teachings. They've lived similar experiences. But they're not putting the pieces together about who this guy Jesus really is. And they fail to see him for who he is. They fail to understand the things that Jesus is trying to teach them. And their perception of who he is is blurry at best. Now, personally, this causes me to stop and think, if the disciples struggled with this, is it possible that his disciples 2,000 years in the future could also struggle with this? Is it possible that we can find ourselves in a similar situation when we look into the pages of scripture, could it possibly be that when we read and hear the words of God, we don't have the proper reaction to them? And if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves why. Well, as we can see here with the disciples, it was because of a problem that they had in their hearts. And that caused them to fail, at least in this situation, to see him for who he truly is. Now, going forward, Mark records um, another event that gives us insight on where their understanding of Jesus is. In Mark 8, 1, we have another narrative involving the feeding of a huge group of people. Uh, Mark 8, 1, the Bible says that in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to him, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses... They will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Well, no problem. We've seen this before, right? Verse 4. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? 
Can you hear the sound of Jesus smacking his hand on his forehead at the response of the disciples here? How in the world can you say a statement like that after seeing the feeding of the 5,000 earlier? They have more bread this time and a smaller crowd. Well, again, I think Mark 6.52 is the answer here. That is because of the hardness of their heart. They should be getting it. They've been with Jesus. They've seen his power. But here they're focusing on their power and their ability. I want you to notice in verse 4, how can one satisfy these people with bread? They're focusing on their power first instead of God's power. Even though they've lived a similar situation before, their trust goes to themselves first. Brothers and sisters, that is the opposite of how we should think. Instead of thinking, how am I going to get through this thing or how am I going to get out of this thing, we should be thinking, how is God going to help me through it? The disciples are seeing the miracles. They're hearing his teachings but they're making the wrong connections. Now, the text goes forward a bit with a brief interaction with the Pharisees in verses 11 through 13, but afterwards, uh, the disciples were getting into a boat, and they realized that they had forgotten to bring bread for their journey. Surely, surely this is the moment where they realize that this won't be a problem, right? Mark 8, starting at verse 15, then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and eleven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Wrong connection. The Jesus was telling his disciples, Be careful who you listen to. Take heed of what you hear, going back to Mark 4, 24. But the connection that they made was not having enough bread. Now here, Jesus wastes no time getting to the crux of the matter, And he uses some of the very language that he used at the Pharisees uh, to his disciples here, starting at verse 17. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And after a bit of explaining, he ends the conversation in verse 21. He says to them, how is it that you do not understand? In other words... How could you be with me all this time and still not get it? Once again, I think Jesus reveals the issue in verse 17 when he asked the disciples about the hardness of their hearts. Now, all this context gets us to the healing of the blind man in Mark 8, 22 through 25, which is our main objective of our study tonight. Mark 8, 22, it was just read a few moments ago. The Bible says that then he, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything clearly. So what's going on here? you got a blind man that's been brought to Jesus, and Jesus does some things that's a bit strange to us. He spits on his eyes, and he puts his hands on him. But notice the conversation that happens next. He asked the man, after he does this, do you see anything? And the man said, I see men, but I see them like trees walking around. In other words, I can see, but I can't see very well. I see dimly. Everything's blurry. I see men, 
but they look like trees. It's hard to make out the details. They just look like these big things moving around. So did Jesus just not use enough power? Did he miss? There are actual commentaries that say that Jesus miscalculated how much power to use that it would take to heal this blind man. Now, I would say that those are commentators that have read the miracle but missed the point. Think about this. Has Jesus ever been out of control of his power just one time? Do you think he knows the exact amount of power that is needed to heal this blind man uh, of his blindness or to heal anyone for that matter? Of course he does. So that begs the question, why only partially heal him and then go back and do it the rest of the way? I think the answer lies in the location here. Why is this account recorded and why does it appear right here? Remember the context that we explored before arriving here. The disciples on the boat, the feeding of the people. They see Jesus, but they don't see him clearly. They almost see him like trees walking around, like this man sees men. They recognize that he has power. They were present at the miracles, but the pieces haven't come together yet. Then Jesus lays his hand on this man's eyes and again and looks intently Uh, And he was restored. And notice the phrase, he began to see everything clearly. This blind man, I believe, is an object lesson for the disciples. And since it's recorded here, it's a lesson for us as well. When he first heals them and he only partially sees, that's the message to the disciples that right now, you are this man. You started out blind. And right now, you only partially see who I am. Your reaction on the boat still reveals a hardness of heart. The words that come out of your mouth still show that you don't see me clearly. The fact that you still trust in your own power and worry about bread when it's been provided you on multiple occasions still tells me that you're not getting it. But if you stay with me, if you'll address the heart issue, if you'll continue to dig, to seek, And to understand, eventually you will see me clearly. Just like this man who was just fully healed from his blindness. Now, the issue isn't completely taken care of here. Peter will go on to make a confession and remarks that still uh, shows that he has blurry vision. Some of the disciples will go on to argue about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, which indicates that they still have some learning to do. But these men continue with Jesus And the vast majority of them come to the point that they are willing willing to give their lives in some of the most horrific ways imaginable, all in an effort to further the cause of their king and to live with him in his kingdom. Tonight's lesson has one point that we can derive from the healing of the blind man, and that is to see Jesus as the king he is. That takes time. We may recognize that he has power or that his teachings are good to follow, but our vision is blurry at best if that's the only level of understanding that we achieve. We must always continue forward, always press for more understanding, seek to grow closer and closer to God, look for ways to equip ourselves to do his work, and to push beyond our comfort zone. So how's your vision? Do you see Jesus as king? When scripture challenges you or makes you uncomfortable, does that cause you to change? 
Or does it cause us to make excuses? Are we simply in agreement with him on those things and feel like that's enough? Or are we willing to submit to his kingship even on the difficult matters? Let's make sure that our concept of Jesus, of who he is, isn't made up of conveniences and hearsay, but rather from scripture and denial of self.